Oh, yeah. We work with live animals here. Excellent. Welcome to the Boil Now Coffee Club Podcast, a meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Yes, you are. Oh, I mean, uh, hi, I'm Sam. Yes, you are. I usually say that when you say you're an alcoholic. (laughs) You're purely a Sam. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Sam, I am. Uh, Sam, no green are. and egg, no green eggs and ham. Okay, you know, right before we began recording, you were in a state about dogs barking and uh, leaf blowers blowing and all the <laughs> stuff that was going to happen, and you were worked into a frenzy. We recorded a, a whole podcast, and none of it came to be. It's interesting. That's because I controlled everything. <laughs> you put the power of control. I did. I contacted my neighbors and was like, hey, we're going to be doing this thing. Would you please keep the dog in? Would you please not blow your leaves during this time? <laughs> and and they didn't. And they, they acquiesced. Yeah, so sometimes, <laughs> sometimes these little things, they work out. Well, sometimes it's also ask for what you need. Yeah. You know, the answer totally could have been no. It could have been fuck you, but... Instead, they were like, hey, let me see what I can do. Yeah. People can be decent. <laughs> yeah, I think there's more decency than <laughs> than I think at times. I, there's more decency than I feel. There's Yeah. Is there at times. Also, I'm always doing a little bit better than I think I am. What I think just seems to have little effect on what's going on in the world. We have, a dec- we have a decent human being here. We do here. have a decent human being here. Where? Oh, well, and, th- and then there's you. Hi. <laughs> no, where's the fourth person? <laughs> Introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Michelle. Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Thanks for joining us. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Michelle, when did you get sober? Uh, June 10th of 2018. June 10th, 2018. Yep. What was going on with you? That, um, that made you willing to do such a thing? Well, I had to go to court and deal with a DUI that I had gotten uh, two years ago last week, a week from... So two years and one week ago. So you didn't want to get sober? Not really. Yeah. Um, not You know, I didn't... I definitely wasn't out looking for sobriety when I got a DUI from, you know... Right. So... That's reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> So were you court ordered to go to AA or something? I was not, no. Um, So after about six months after the DUI, when I realized that my drinking was getting worse um, and that I was really miserable, I went, I signed up for an IOP. I got a psychiatrist and I got a therapist. What's an IOP? Uh, Intensive outpatient. Oh, uh uh-huh. Yeah. So did that three mornings a week. Um, But it was basically, then I, then I got a lawyer and he was like, do everything you, as much as you can before the court date. Mm -hmm. So I went into the court date and I'd done community service. I had done my assessment. I had done treatment. I had all my letters and I got really lucky. Did all the things. Did all the things. and And in doing all the things, you actually wound up realizing that sobriety was the right choice for you? Yeah. I mean... 
I knew that, I mean, I grew up around addicts. I've had addicts in my family my whole life. Um, my dad was an alcoholic. His sister's an alcoholic. And so I like, quote unquote, knew better. I just wasn't necessarily ready to deal with it. <laughs> uh, I figured I had a little bit more time, but. Well, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I have a problem, but uh, I don't want to do anything as drastic as yeah, it's, it's quit not, yeah, it's everything not exactly. that big of a problem ever. yet. So I just had a feeling that it was time for me to just handle my shit. It wasn't so much I needed to quit drinking. It was I needed to handle all of my shit. Um, and honestly, if I had known in the IOP that they were going to make us go to AA meetings, I probably wouldn't have gone unless court ordered. Um, and it's kind of funny the way that it worked out, you know, as a, I consider myself, I like to joke that on my good days, I'm an agnostic and on my bad days, I'm an atheist. Um, <laughs> but when I walked into the IOP and they started talking about needing, you know, okay, well, we're going to leave in a little bit to head over to the AA meeting. And I was, I felt sick to my stomach. Oh. Um, and they were like, so let us know if you need a ride. And I said, you know, what? I want to ride over with you guys. Cause if I don't, I'm going to leave. Oh, that's some honesty. Um, yeah. So I was, yeah. Yeah, I was committed at that point, you know, and I was like, I'm going to at least make it through t this two hour, three hour session. Um, and then within 45 minutes, not only did I kind of find some people that I really wanted to get to know better, um, I also found a goat dealer. So a dope dealer, a goat, <laughs> goat, a goat, the greatest of all time dealer. No, like actual goats. <laughs> oh, like little kids. Yes. Yep. Um, so it just felt like there was a goat dealer at the AA meeting. I mean, I don't think he was advertising himself as a goat uh -huh. dealer, but you know, that's yeah. what he turned out to be for me. Uh, I love and this. it felt very, you know, it felt like that was intentional, faded if you would. So I was like, I guess I'll have to come back tomorrow. Cool. So you went to a meeting and, uh, just struck up a conversation with someone it about was goats. Actually the, um, the facilitator of the IOP. Oh, who? Yeah. So, and, um, you know, we were just used, how did you end up in North Carolina? Well, I wanted to, I wanted to move far enough South that it wasn't cold all the time. And, um, I could buy a house, a little bit of land. So my mom will have a place to park her RV and I can get some goats. I have goats. I have pregnant goats. And that was it. The rest oh, was history. Wow. And that's how I'm sitting here 17 months later because this dude had some pregnant goats. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, it was really, really random, um, but probably not. So yeah, that's yeah. super cool. Yep, it worked out really well for me. So you say um, on your good days you're agnostic, on your bad days you're atheist. Yes. So what's uh, what's up with uh, with with higher power for you in regard to? Um, definitely something I'm still struggling with, um, for sure, but. I am able to see that there's some, you know, greater, there's something greater than me that will, you know, that wants better for me. Um, sometimes I kind of imagine who I would be without all of the fucked up genetic stuff and without the fucked up upbringing. Um, and I kind of imagine that, like, that that's my higher power, you know, my potential almost. Oh, okay. So, Yeah. Um, and sometimes I just don't think about it because it's easier that way. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten to a point where I don't even try to define it. It's, yeah. it's just like, I, yeah. I identify as atheist. Um, I, there, there is something, some force, some natural law, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Some quarks that are like dancing happily amongst each other. Um, but 
I don't know what it is. Don't shiny, need to know what it happy is. Shiny, happy quarks. Shiny, yes. happy quarks. <laughs> <laughs> but what I know is that um, what I've been doing works. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm going to keep on doing what I've been doing. Well, yeah. Michelle, you said just a minute ago that uh, that it was all a coincidence or maybe not. And you just kind of tossed that off. But that right there is allowing that there is some power greater than yourself at work. Yeah. And honestly, for me, um, it was the, it was, it's just the being willing is what makes the difference for me. And that's, and as long as I just stay open-minded enough to be willing to believe, willing to, you know, to do better and willing to, if there is something, you know, if there is some, you know, Judeo-Christian God sitting up in the clouds on a throne, you know, trying, making us dance like puppets. Um, that, what (laughs) oh don that's what you were going moo at all those years ago that is not there though i mean i yeah i I don't think that's what uh higher power means yeah absolutely not um but it's but so if you if you hold on to that then you got something to fight against that's not have anything to do with it yeah um and it's when i'm having you know a a bad a bad day an atheist day a grumpy day um i remember when my dad was really sick and um and you know we were just talking about religion and we were talking about what it all means and everything and you know he'd always been an atheist he raised me as an atheist Um, but I remember just turning to him one day at the very end of his life and saying, if you don't believe in God, then who are you so fucking mad at? Ooh, Mm. you know, and that's the thing that, that keeps that door open for me, you know, is that if you are going to fight back against the universe, then what are you fighting against? Why not just let it go? Let it ride. I love that. The, I liked what you said about the potential for who you could be may be your higher power. Yeah. What's, which I hit upon this one time uh, in thinking of um, I have a lower power hmm. and my lower power is the things that want to kill me. And that is addiction. That is drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, self-destructive behavior. It is lying to other people and hurting other people, sometimes intentionally. When I've done it intentionally, it's happened. Mm -hmm. And that's my lower power. Yeah. My higher power is my creativity and the positive things that happen. And if I can tap into my higher power, my life gets better. And it's an and that's not just a statement. That's a that is a reality for me. It's something I've lived through. Right, and that's um that's one of the things I'm really grateful for the therapist that I found because when I would kind of get into that whole, is there a higher power and am I supposed to be doing certain things? And she would just always you know she would say just check the facts, you know. And if I look back over over my past and I think about how I went from how I got from there to here. Um, there, there's something, you know, there's, there's a reason there's, there's some sort of order and, you know, in something that makes sense. And whether that's just, you know, that part of my brain that's, or the part of my personality that's, you know, buried really, really deep that just wants better for, for, for me. How is your life better being sober than it was before? I mean, 
I've been in, um, I've been in, you know, in quote unquote treatment for mental health issues my entire life. So, um, I can see how my life has continued to get better, but with the sobriety piece, it is, it just kind of kicked it up a notch brought it up to the next level for me. Um, because you know, really for me, um, it was drugs and alcohol or just another way of numbing, you know, all of the, the shit that I don't want to deal with all the feelings I don't want to feel. Um, so being sober means I, I have to, and that's been, it's been really good for me. I've had to really overcome a lot, uh, mentally to get here. So it's, it's just been very, I think it's been very helpful in that regard. Um, so well, one of the things that, that my ears perked up to is you, t- you said that you've been uh, in uh, mental health care for a long time. Yes. And that not drinking has helped you deal with more things because it's kind of, it's taken away this one method of numbing yourself, so to speak, I would. Right. Yeah. And I've, um, I've had to really come to terms over the last 17 months with how many things I've tried to use, um, as a numbing, you know, how Mm. many things I've used to self-medicate. And I can think back to being five or six years old and and using food, Mm -hmm. being, you know, 12 years old and using books, being 20 years old and, you know, going to school and getting a bachelor's degree in two and a half years while working two jobs. I mean, just whatever it took that I was, I couldn't, I couldn't be alone with my, my thoughts and any feelings that I had. Gotcha. Um, and now I've been kind of forced to deal with them. So, so you're using all kind, using anything to yeah. avoid yep. feeling my feelings. Yes. And yes. And that's exactly right. So, um, it's, you know, whatever it is that I've been using to numb has changed a lot over my lifetime and it's been really kind of eye opening for me to realize how many things I have in my life that I'm using to just not feel yeah, shitty. Even yeah. in sobriety that, I, oh, I've I, had my moments. Absolutely. I, I have to watch it mm-hmm. because things will light up and I will just latch onto it and become obsessed with it. And just like, yep, it's all I think about. Yeah. And you know, I'm not, th- I'm not, I have to be really conscious of that to, so that I'm not using it to avoid being present. Yeah. And I think for me, that's kind of why, how it's kicked up my mental health care a notch is because I'm actually able to be more aware of it. Um, you know, I mean, using food or sex or reading or, you know, Netflix to kind of numb myself out. Um, is effective in some regards, but it's not as effective as, you know, getting shit faced, mm-hmm. you know, because you're just off in your own little world yeah. then. Um, and so I've had to kind of stay closer, you know, to my feelings and it's been, it's just been really helpful. Um, I can find myself doing things that I don't, that I don't want to do. And that would normally cause a lot of pain for me. And I see myself doing it and I'm able to, I might, I might not do it immediately, but I'm catching myself almost in real time as I'm doing things that, you know, that, and normally I would just have a feeling and not be able to tie it to anything, you know? So now I'm, you know, I have a feeling and I go, okay, well, that's what I did. I want to do that differently next time. Or even, you know, um, I had a situation where I had, um, a friend who wanted me to do them a favor 
you know, I was happy to do them the favor, but, um, I had a lot going on at the time. So I needed to, I'm, I'm a little OCD and I need to, I need to plan everything. I need to make lists. Everything has to follow an order that I want it to follow. And she wasn't, they can't see the intensity in your eyes when you were saying that. (laughs) Um, and all the hand motions that I'm unable to prevent myself (laughs) from making. But yeah, so, um, I wasn't, I just, you know, she wasn't getting information to me. And I was getting frustrated and it was about a week and a half before, you know, the favor needed to be completed. And I just had this vision of myself the night before, um, staying up late, you know, being exhausted, my back hurting, having that like resentment burning in my chest that I had to do this for somebody. Mm. And they, you know, they didn't allow me to, to plan and, you know, do what I needed to do to make it less stressful for myself. And I just said, "Hey, if you can't if you can't get me the specifics by in three days, I'm not going to do it." And I apologize in advance, but it's just not good for me. That's some self care. Yeah, is. yeah, and that's I mean that's just like for me that's mind blowing. You know, I've been well enough to be able to start really working on deep seated codependency issues and you know relationship problems that I've allowed you know, to show up in relationship after relationship after relationship by just saying, Hey, I'm aware of what I need. I'm asking for what I need. And then you can either give it to me or I will, you know? So if you can't do what I need you to do, then I will have to, you know, walk away, whatever that is. Yeah. So I, I love that. Um, first of all, I love how freely you talk about mental health care because some people have difficult time talking about it. Um, and it's something that is, um, thankfully, more and more discussed today. And in, the, in regard to recovery uh, in AA and other 12-step programs and such, um, you know, mental health care goes hand in hand with this. And I'm, I'm so hearing that in what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it's, to me, it's all, you know, symptoms of the same issue. I mean, me and my brother, um, we have different fathers, but he's a heroin addict and I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You know, his father's a heroin addict. My father was an alcoholic. I mean, it's not, you know, I, I'm here, you know, I, I, I got my alcoholism, honestly. Um, and, you know, I have... So you came into AA for alcohol? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've really never, I've never had another, you know, actual drug of choice. Um, I've tried pot a few times, didn't really like it. And that's pretty much it. But but your I've, drinking was you couldn't control your drinking. Um, honestly, I have to tell you, I didn't really try to control my drinking. <laughs> At a girl. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Go big or go home, guys. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So for me, it was it was honestly being in the IOP and having the realization that that addiction is very, very deeply rooted in your brain. So, you know, I mean, I don't know that I actually had a phys, I got to the point of having a physical addiction to alcohol. I didn't, you know, I, I just quit drinking one night and I was, I, you know, I didn't have any physical side effects, you know, um, so, and I never felt at any point that I would have like needed to be hospitalized, but I mean, sure, if I had like a seizure, I would have been like, oh, well, shit, I wish I'd handled that differently. You didn't, you didn't get to that point. Yeah. And I I don't think that I, you know, I, I, I didn't get to that point, but. So was it. So what was the problem? Well, I mean, the uh, it was a psychological, you know, and it was for me, it, the addiction was 
the the addiction was beyond a physical need to drink, you know, a physical, um, you know, my body's going to shut down. I'm going to end up, you know, you couldn't live without it. It was the compulsion. I didn't want to, I didn't want, you know, and it was just, I'm trying to, I'm asking for maybe somebody listening who might be, am I asking, am I an alcoholic? Um, At what point would you say that you, that your drinking was a problem? Um, I mean, my drinking was a problem. Uh, There's going to yeah. be a difference from when you realized it and when it became yeah. a problem. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't, you know, people are like, I had my first drink and then, you know, that was it. And that wasn't necessarily the case for me, but I've always had binge behaviors and I have right. binge behaviors around a lot of things. Um, and so, you know, when I would drink, I would drink maybe, you know, a couple times a year, maybe. And, but I would drink a lot and I had a really high tolerance. I didn't get hangovers. So I know, I know. And the other thing too, and I think the only good thing about being a binge drinker is, you know, getting to a a point where you black out. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that luxury either. Um, so I had a tolerance for alcohol well enough that I wake up the next morning and go, Oh my God, what did I do? And And I would remember in excruciating, humiliating detail, um, so your behavior would yeah, you, and the be fact, bad. And you, I really had to stop and examine the fact that I would get behind the wheel of a car too drunk to drive and how, who, who I could have killed mm-hmm. um, and how I, would have, how I would have dealt easily, with that. Easily, easily. Way when too easily. When I think easily. back on that, it, it is, I drove all the time drinking. Yeah. I drove drunk all the time. I never drove home from work without a beer between my legs. I mean, it was like it's every single day, and I never yeah. got a DUI. But I mean, yep. there but for the grace of God. I mean, that's and that's exactly that's exactly how I felt. Um, and at that point, I realized that I was going to have to stop, at least to deal with the legal repercussions of getting a DUI. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I spent the next six months drinking more. And that's when it finally, you know, when I was finally like enough and I started making those phone calls, you know, and I got the, I, and I knew drinking more like it was like, did it get worse? Yeah. Or, yeah. And because you were threatening, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. It, alcoholism can, yeah. I, I, my, my sponsor one time said it's like a, oh, uh, it's rattling its cage. Yep. It's like this <laughs> alcoholism is like this caged yeah. animal. And one time I had the experience of like feeling like my alcoholism was before I quit drinking. I went to the park to do a painting on a Sunday afternoon. I was going to, it was a beautiful day and I was going to do this painting in the park and I wanted to get drunk. I mean, bad. Mm-hmm. So I got a six pack of a tall slit malt liquors and Went to the park, opened up one, and just went, <laughs> drank a tall down within, just shotgunned it. Yep. Then I opened up another one and drank it at about the same rate of speed. I opened up a third one and, and started painting a little bit, but drank that beer just yep. within. So within yep. five minutes, I had four beers. Yep. And... Then I opened up the fifth one. I'm going, something's wrong. Uh, 
it was like, what is going on? What's with wrong? Me? Is you're about to run out of beer? Yeah, yeah that is part of yep. it. And I was yep. and I was drinking that one, and then I was like so drunk all of a sudden. Yep, it came on me, yep. and I was going. But I've got to have another beer, and it was like it yeah. was inside of me and had yeah. control of me, and it was. I was like going, man, I'm fucked up. Yeah. Well, you know that that rattling cage thing. You know, for me, it was it, 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 in observing me and also other people that I've, I've I've heard them talk about their alcoholism. That end of 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 drinking period, it's almost like the alcoholism knows that the end is coming it's so like i'm gonna wear it out has a bucket list <laughs> yes yes <laughs> and you're perfect. trying to kill it but it wants to yeah, yeah. i mean that's yes. honestly how i felt yeah. <laughs> that is that is yeah. so well put yes so and yeah and it was it was kind of scary for me because that really allowed me to sort of observe it um almost you know clinically and be like damn like you gotta do something about this and I only had the thought a couple of times near the end about whether or not there would be a problem. I, mean, I know my father, when he quit drinking, um, he was hospitalized for a week and he almost died. So I didn't, you know, I just drank that last night and I didn't drink again. And, and, and that was it. But yeah, that was it. But what happened? How was that it? Uh, Did you, were you going to AA? Well, I was in the IOP. So the IOP. yeah. So I had my first day in the IOP on a Wednesday and then that Saturday night was the last time I drank. So like two or three days later. Um, and honestly, it was there was a big UFC fight that night and I was really excited to watch it. And I was like unable to, you know, function by the main event. So that um, was like really depressing um, for me. And I was like, damn it, like, ugh. Um, but, you know, my approach to it has, all, has never been, you know, I try not to think about what the, about the long-term you know, effects of it. Just like, okay, well today I got through it and that's cool. Oh, what being sober? Yeah. 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 But I mean, it's, if I had thought about it, you know, if, if I had known that that was the last drink I was going to have, oh, no, I yeah. might not have, I might not have been like, well, I'm out. So I'm going to go to bed. You yeah, know? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I have heard other people talk about that too. If I'd known this was going to be the last drink, I would have yeah. worn it out. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but don't you think that, when we get, I don't know if this is always true, but it seems like getting to the point where I'm able to look at my drinking as being something that's going on that is inside of me that's other than me Yeah, is, is what it takes to be able to give up because I've got to get to the place where I realize I'm not in control. And I, that's what happened to me. I knew that I could not drink and control it. Right. And it was when when I got that last little bit of like, oh, I will never be able to control this. I can tell. Yep. It's something mm -hmm. other yeah. than me going on. And that was for me, um, you know, I'm sure you hear a lot of people who are like, I'm not sure if I'm an alcoholic, um, but, you know, court order, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. For me, um, I hadn't really given much thought to what, you know, to the label that I needed to have. Um, but sitting in IOP and talking about addiction and talking about, you know, all of the psychology and the, you know, the chemical aspects of addiction, mm -hmm. I realized that for me, alcohol was going to be like food. Um, and in 2006, I had had a gastric bypass. Um, I lost a lot of weight. But one of the things they told me before the gastric bypass is because of my history of mental illness, I needed to be in therapy 
because they could fix me from the neck down, but they couldn't fix me from the neck up. And that mm. was, that's what, those are the actual words my surgeon used. Um, and I didn't pay much attention to it, you know, but th- there I was, you know, in 2018 back heavier than my pre, um, my pre-surgery weight mm-hmm. and with a drinking problem. And I realized the drinking was going to be the, it was going to be the exact same thing. You know, so I couldn't control my eating and I didn't really try. And if I kept drinking, I wouldn't be able to control it. And, you know, and that was just, and so it was almost, it was nice that I could look back and have, you know, a 12 year example of what it would look like for me trying to be, trying to moderate. Gotcha. And I would just end up, you know, wherever it was. And, and that was, so that was for me, I was like, okay, yeah, no, that, that means you're an alcoholic and that means you can never pick up another drink. So I'm hearing two things in um, in your getting to that that awareness mm-hmm. that um, that I think are, are just really incredible, and that is that that 12 year uh, comparison that you were able to to apply to to food, um, and then also the uh, the IOP side of things. Um, I didn't go through uh, treatment. I, um, I I just, I came to AA. I couldn't afford mm-hmm. treatment. And insurance yeah. didn't cover all that crap. Um, and one of the things that was what I needed to hear. And I understand that the, the times have changed, studies have changed and all that kind of stuff. But when I came into the rooms, I heard someone who does, who is a treatment uh, professional, Mm -hmm. um, share about, um, uh, THIQ, um, which was, uh, a, so, so just briefly shared about a chemical aspect of the the way that, uh, some people process alcohol and and all this kind of stuff. Is that what THIQ THIQ was part of the tetrahydroisoquinone? I think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and what it boiled down to was what I needed to hear was a little bit of science. Yes. For me to accept that Oh, yep. so my body does this, and I'm powerless over that. Mm-hmm. I can't make my body not do that, which means that I yep. am alcoholic. Um, yeah. I cannot, I'm powerless over alcohol mm-hmm. um, because I can't make my body not do that. Thing. Yeah, that's the physical yep. part of it. So yeah. that was the little bit of science that I yeah. needed yeah. To, to hear what you're talking about, Michelle. You yeah. got a lot of science yeah. in the IOP treatment that you were I, in. I really did, and I was grateful for that. Um, but I also, I mean, I'm a nerd, so the more science they threw at me, the more I, I mean, I have two degrees in psychology. Mm-hmm. Like, so, I mean, all this stuff is just kind of, you know, you hear the you hear the things, and they sound like cliches. Um, but until you're able to see how they apply to you, um, it doesn't really, you know, it's just you know, one day at a time. That's a stupid cliche. You know, it's that's too simple to be effective. The the basics of but it's so effective because you said just a minute ago, <laughs> I can never have another drink yeah. as long as I live, and my hackles went up right at that moment <laughs> just because, oh my God, is that true for me? Yes, it is true for me. Yeah, but but I don't have not, to think about it like that's that. That's not the way I, don't I have think to about think it. about it like yeah. that. And you know, if I ever want to go back out again, I can. I just need to know that I'll probably end up dead. Yeah. All right. That's and, the and well, and the thing too, and, and I love. I heard a, a speaker share this many years ago. Uh, and um, if I decide to take a drink today, that is a stone cold sober mind making that choice. Yes. Um, that wasn't the case when I came into these rooms. Right. Um, right. It won't be a physical addiction no. if yeah. you were to start drinking today. Yeah. That would and be correct. the mental. But and the other that's thing. That's what scares me. Yeah. And that's what makes me want to keep myself in check is because I know 
that I'm going to, that it's going to be this, the exact same thing. And I'm going to end up, you know, numbing myself. And so that's what the, that's what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is about. That yep. it's to deal with that peculiar mental twist so that when that twist comes up, yep. I'm in the program and I am aware that that, Oh, I see what's happening here. Yeah. 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 Yep. And the other thing that I, that I um, have, have, it's been on my mind a bit lately, so I'm going to talk about it um, briefly. And, and it was that uh, another person who shared that after I take that first drink, then it's not a sober mind making the decision to take the next drink. And so it's, and, and I would take that down to the first swallow. Yeah. Once I get the alcohol in me, I'm no longer making a sober choice to drink mm-hmm. because it's already in my body doing what it does to me. Then you've triggered yep. the phenomenon of craving. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Michelle, what was, what is something that has happened in recovery and working the steps that was pivotal for you? Some turning point with one of the steps. For me, it, the first three steps and the whole having to deal with, you know, my, the higher power thing. Um, and I, I think I already said it, but it was just reading about that and reading about just being willing, you know, and I'm, I'm nerdy enough to be willing to try that experiment, you know, and I may not believe in, in God and I may not, you know, trust. what's the experiment? The experiment is that if I act as though it's, you know, if I act like I believe that there, or I act like it matters if there's a, a God or not, um, and it, you know, and I come out on the other side of that and I'm not drinking, then okay, what, then let's you see could, what tomorrow looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of an experiment and you know, my, um, <laughs> I've always kind of felt like, it's like you don't have to, with AA, you don't have to sign on to a belief system. Right. Yeah. You just have to be willing to give it a try. Yeah, exactly. And see if it works. And if yep. it does work, then continue to do the things that work. Yeah. And I think for me, it, that, you know, getting through the first three steps and understanding that was kind of like somebody turned on the floodlights. Um, the rest of the step work has been very much, you know, just right now, at least for me, the rest of the steps are kind of like when you're going to the bathroom in the dark and your little nightlight comes on, you know, I'm not, you know, it's not, it's not earth shattering for me right now. Um, but you know, in some regards, if I went back to where I was in my life, you know, five years ago, and I think about, you know, the fact that I was able to say to my mother the other day, Hey, when I come home for Thanksgiving, do we have to do this? Would it really hurt your feelings if I said no? And she was like, no, that's totally fine. And I said, okay, great. Cause this thinking about doing this has been stressing me out. She's like, all right, no problem. Five years ago, I would have just done it. Um, well, I, I fly in on a Sunday before Thanksgiving and her sister lives near the airport. So she wanted to go there. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm flying in for quote unquote vacation, but I have to work Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And I have to physically be in another office surrounded by people I don't really know very well. Um, so it's going to be like a, a big day on Monday. And I just, the idea of like having to go to my mother's house and iron my pants and pack a lunch after seeing family. And I was uh-huh. just like, Oh my God, this is going to be a nightmare. And I could imagine how I would feel and how you're like out. taking care of yourself. You yeah. can realize that, yeah. that, that this is too much for you, but I've, it's, this and, is, but, but you were also taking, it sounds like the way that you asked the question to your mother was like, 
if it's important to you, I'll do it. But if it's not important. Yeah. And if it was important to her, um, I would be willing to do it. Um, but I'm going to be getting a, a rental car, for example. So I could go and see everybody and say hello. And then I could leave and she yes. could come back at yeah. her leisure. So, you know, that was, again, being in a position to understand what I need, then in a position to ask for what I need, and then in a position to be okay with the end result of asking and knowing that there's still other options. You know, so for her saying, yes, it would hurt my feelings, I, you know, then I could, instead of being like, well, I just have to suffer then, you know, there are other options. And so just having those realizations, you know, that I don't have to, I don't have to wait until I build up resentment and am frustrated. Yeah. And then I <laughs> fly off the handle and I don't even know why, because it was yeah. something that happened three yeah. weeks ago. Well, it could be that situation and you didn't ask and you have to go and now you're resentful and yeah. now it's building up and I gotta go. And it's mm-hmm. like, by God, and yeah. make but a I big scene and be it, yeah. have everybody angry and upset. Yeah. But I would have gotten to that point without even realizing that I that I needed to not go. This is this is like how it says somewhere in the big book that we will intuitively know mm. how to handle problems that used to yes. baffle us. Yes. Yes. That's in the promises. And that was, I remember the first few times hearing the promises being like, you know, like whatever. I mean, it's exactly right. Yeah. For me, it's huge to not just, um, one of my friends used to say, accuse me of always lighting myself on fire to keep other people warm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I mean, she's a nice warm fire. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, something that continues to come to mind, someone did this recently in my presence and they, what they did was they held up a piece of paper, a letter sized piece of paper and what they, their sponsor had told them when they first started working together, tore off the tiniest corner of that piece of paper and said, this is the alcohol. This is. The rest of this paper is the yep. alcoholism. Yes. Mm. Yes. And for me, it's, I have to realize it's that alcoholism is tied into um, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, um, just so many other things can go under the alcoholism umbrella. Yeah. That whole piece of paper is all of the things that is, that make up my mental health. And the actual, you know, and it, it hadn't been alcohol, it just would have been something else because it always had been. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing for me, and, and it's one of the things that I've had to pay attention to over the years, particularly in recovery, because I don't have, quote unquote, access to alcohol and drugs. Obviously, I do, but um, I don't have those in my uh, choices yeah. that I allow myself now. Yeah. Um, is what am I doing not to feel the stuff I'm feeling? Yes, exactly. And I have totally uh, binged. I, I, you know, I, and I have referred to it. I love to immerse in another world. Yes. Uh, in yep. books and in 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 uh, TV series and and things like that. Yep. Um, and so it is something that I have to pay attention to. Um, moderation has turned out to be available to me in those things. Right. And but with the alcohol side of stuff, yeah. well, as soon as I put alcohol in me, I didn't know where it was going. Yep. And so yep. the fact that my body is made the way it's made mm-hmm. through that complication in to me using that particular escape mechanism successfully. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, um, so in the last year and a half, I've quit drinking, I've quit sugar and I've quit reading novels. 
Um, (laughs) because those are three things that I can't control myself with. And I don't want those to be, you know, when I go reach in my toolbox, I don't want that to be there. Yeah. Um, and so for escapism, I'll allow myself to watch Netflix. Um, for example, yesterday I spent so many hours, um, cleaning and organizing. I just took everything and I dragged it into the living room and I put on a a show and I, so I was able to binge, but also be productive. And so oh. I can do that with TV. I can't do that with a book. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, it's, um, and people are like, well, you, you don't just like, you don't have to stop reading. Reading is good for you. And I'm like, yeah, I'll read my, you know, I'll read my literature. Um, I'll read nonfiction. But if you give me a novel series and I'm at, like, I'll be at work, you know, I'm reading something on my phone and my phone rings and I'm like, ah. I'm annoyed that I have to exist, <laughs> yes. you know, and it's like, and, and Out, just, outside. Yeah. yeah the, like the, I'm, I'm busy here. You know, my brain is completely engaged in that's something the, else. That's the yeah. obsessive thing. Yep. I did that. You know, I did that with a computer game. I played this one computer game for four years called city of heroes. Mm-hmm. And it was like world of Warcraft, but superheroes. And I've knew that I was in trouble with it yep. because I would play it. And at one point during the day, I was thinking, there's nothing in the world I want to do more than go home and play. Yes. I've I've done that with World of Warcraft. Um, And I started breaking away from that when I read a story about a couple in Japan who was playing at like an internet cafe and their child died at home. Wow. Of like... Wow. starvation well it just feels it's the most rewarding thing because yep. for some reason if if one of these things lights up if one of these addictive behaviors mm-hmm. light lights up there is nothing more satisfying than that thing yeah nothing will fill yep. that spot quite yep. the same way and then when it goes away it's like if you get want to move away from it and look back on it i look back and go what I'd spent four years. I could, what could I've done in those four mm, years? Yeah. I'm an artist. Yeah. Yeah. What all the time that I spent playing that game, I could have been painting and drawing and how, yep. what could I have done? You know, but I spent it in that. Yep. Now I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. In the moment it was fun. It um, was fun, but, I, but the awareness of it is, is a thing, mm-hmm. but I got to say this though. When first getting sober, I was like going, okay, I'm going to quit drinking and I'm going to quit uh, smoking and I'm going to oh, quit God. everything all at once. I, yeah. And my sponsor said, nope. how good do you want to get? Why don't you just focus on alcohol? Yes. That's enough. Yes. Just let everything else go and we'll deal with them one at a time. Yeah. What's that saying that you have? Uh, we, we quit things in the order in which they'll kill us. Yeah. Yes. And first things first. That's exactly right. So for me, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to quit drinking and while I'm at it, I'm going to eat better no it wasn't the right time <laughs> yeah for that at all and yeah you know obesity has its its own issues um but it wasn't going to kill me tomorrow right or worse because you know i mean so what if i die but worse my obesity was not going to potentially endanger another person yeah and so sometimes i have to think of it in that order but um so i had to give it a couple months and once I felt like I was in a really good place with, um, with my drinking and I wasn't, you know, thinking about going back out, you know, there was no concerns about that. About four or five months later, I was able to start kicking sugar. Um, and that was really helpful. And I don't even think, I don't even think up and until 
maybe February of this year that I was like, okay, you gotta, you gotta lay off the, the novels. You need to be present. So you need to cut that out. Um, so I definitely am trying to do them in order. Hmm. Well, that's, that's one addiction good. that I need to quit. And that's proving to be really difficult is diet Coke. I've been saying for five years, I wanted to quit. And every time it's, you know, it's like, Oh, well, you know, this is going to be the last, this is going to be my last one. Hmm. And then I'm at sheets, like double fisting them. Like, Oh my God. <laughs> Well, I, so I've had uh, some awareness around uh, my nature of um, of addiction, if you will. Uh, and so the alcohol thing, obviously, I'm an alcoholic, no doubt. Yes. Um, now, I did not identify as an addict when I came into the rooms of AA um, because every drug that I had ever tried, I put down. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was a heavy pot smoker before... I had enough to lose to random drug testing at a workplace. Yep. So I quit smoking pot and I drank alcohol because it was legal and I could do that. Yep. And I missed a hell of a lot more work than I did when I was high on pot. Yep. Um, but um, I did the party drugs, the nightclub drugs, all these things, and nothing ever grabbed a hold of me. And so I did not identify as an addict. But then years into my recovery, is when I picked up the poppers and the diet pills. Yep. And that was when I, in delusion, would put them down and say, I'm not going to do them again, and then pick them back up. And I didn't catch that at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, in 2012, I started over and yada, yada, yada. You realized it that. was the same behavior. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, but a thing that I am aware of, too, is that uh, gambling... Mm-hmm. is one of those things that could be a problem for me. I've been to a, a casino twice. I played. Uh, the first time was uh, on a business trip, and the, and, and the client was like, hey, here's 100 bucks. Go go have fun. And I was back in like five minutes to watch him play after that because I'd already blown the 100 bucks. Yes. Then it was on a cruise ship, and I gave myself $20 of my money to, that I could spend in the, in the casino. And when I hit $40... I realized I need to walk away from this because what's happening is I cannot be true to myself yes. in how I'm managing this. Yeah. And so for me, that's the, the thing to look for as to whether something's going to be a problem. When it comes to Netflix, binging on Netflix, um, now, you know, there may be a time whenever I like, I want to finish that episode that's mm-hmm. going, but I'm not going to stay up until four o'clock in the morning to finish a series. Right. Um, that's not been something that's triggered in my mind. So Netflix, I'm, I'm okay with the binging and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the the sugar thing has been an issue for me. Yep. Uh, and I've kind of cut it out of my life for the past several months. But that was because of a binge that I went on. I like had, had done really well at controlling it being in my house. But then uh, I let it back in. I brought the junk food back in the house. Yep. And for like two months, maybe longer, I was eating crap and I was feeling like crap. And mm-hmm. my hands and feet were swelling. And I mean, it was bad. It was yep. not something I was enjoying, but I was surely going to like eat that whole package of Oreos. Yep. Yep. Well, and you, stuff became, like that. you became self aware. Yep. And, and, and I did. Not, that's a gift of recovery is yeah. to have it is. the self-awareness and then the and knowledge that, oh, this is the same thing acting up. And yep. that's, yeah, that is yeah. hugely a gift of recovery. Um, for me, the self-awareness, it 
when you think about addiction, you think about it's basically, you know, whatever, sur- whatever survival instinct you had is like overgrown. It's like almost like having an allergy. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you eat, you feel good. If you fuck, you feel good. And then it just, and then compulsions and stuff build from that. For me, the self-awareness is me wanting to be better than my absolute base instincts. So just because I have a drink and it lights up certain receptors in my brain doesn't mean that I have to give into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but like, it, it's, it's just, it sucks right now being kind of being aware enough and like not being able to like wrestle the control of the Diet Coke. But again, you know, if I, if I quit Diet Coke and I'm miserable, is that six months down the line, I'm, I'm drinking alcohol again. And it's, you know, trying to make that decision and work through it in a, in a healthy way. That's not going to like flip me over on the other side again. It's a mindful approach to self-care. Yes. And that self-awareness can be very helpful when there are predators flying around your head. Yeah. Like owls. Watch out. Seriously. (laughs) That owl. What's its name? Uh, Orlo. Orlo. Oh, there's a story there for another time. Okay. It's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? <laughs> you. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober there, Sonny, it's still one day at the time. <laughs> You can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. We have a question. Sydney in Kernersville asks, How have you dealt with your spiritual journey differing from that of your family of origin? I remember sitting in the living room when I was living at home with my parents, and they had a cast iron statue of the praying hands, and written on the bottom of it was, be still and know I am Lord. And I remember looking at that going, what a crock of shit. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I just thought that was for weak-minded cow brains, Sam. <sighs> I didn't, just didn't feel like that anybody could believe it, and I didn't believe that my... Uh, parents believed it. I thought it was all an act. It was a show. At one point, I remember where I realized was like how arrogant I was to think that my parents could possibly not actually be meditating and being prayerful and feeling a contact with what they would call the Lord, which is what I call spirit of the universe, um, higher power. Uh, It was arrogant because there's lots of different paths to uh, some contact with ultimate reality as I see it. I came to AA and I started acting as if exactly as we were talking about, Mm -hmm. Michelle. And I found that I was making one better decision followed by the next better decision. 
And it's like one decision at a time. I'm living one decision at a time. (laughs) But I'm making one better decision after another better decision. So my life's getting better, genuinely better. And I wasn't drinking. I wasn't poisoning myself. I wasn't waking up sick, shaking, breaking out in cold sweat, uh, waves of nausea coursing through my body. And how is this happening? Well, I'm going to allow that it's my higher power. And I did that. And ultimately, I've come to believe that there is something in the universe that I do not understand and cannot explain that is available to me to help me live my life. I have no idea how it works. It's like a quote from East of Eden, a novel by John Steinbeck. And it has a, a guy in there who uh, can find water in the ground. There's the a, divining rod. A, he has a divining rod. And it's this bent stick, forked stick that he carries around. And he's riding. They're going to go look for water for a well out in the land. And he's riding in his pickup truck with a guy. And the guy's going, do you really believe in that? And the guy says, well, I don't know that I believe in it, but I know that it works. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and that's what happened to me. I mean, I don't know that I believe in it. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But I completely believe that it works because I've been sober for 25 years and it works. I mean, I have the experience of asking for help and getting it and finding another way to live. It is really different than the uh, limited Methodist Christian belief system that I grew up in. Hmm. I find that very limiting, that belief system. But I don't begrudge other people using that as a path. Now, you know, there's this joke about the, how's it go, the Southern Baptists. uh, (laughs) Are you going to make me groan? (laughs) A guy dies and goes to heaven, and uh, and St. Peter's showing him around heaven, and they're walking around, all this this is beautiful lands over here, and this is... Oh, there's goats over here. You'll be happy to know, Michelle. That's wonderful. And, <laughs> and he says, well, it's funny. Everywhere we go, that we keep walking around. There's this one wall here. What's inside of that wall? And he said, oh, that's the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> All right. You got a genuine laugh on that one. That's good. That's one I would have told my grandmother. <laughs> it is. It's the idea that, you know, it's, I grew up with it and I understand it. And there are people who judge me and judge the way I believe. But that doesn't make any difference because I found this thing that actually works mm. and that is real to me. It's an experience that I've had. So I allow them to have their belief and they can judge me as much as they want to. But it doesn't bother me. Because I've got my own higher power. Fantastic. Do you want me to reread the question? Um, Yeah, if you could, that'd be helpful. How have you dealt with your spiritual journey differing from that of your family of origin? It's kind of interesting for me. So um, my parents were raised by sort of a hodgepodge of Christianity. 
Protestant and Catholic. Um, my father's family, you know, a lot of them were really born again. Honestly, I feel like a lot of them were probably in a cult. Um, they, and it's funny that you mentioned the, the arrogance thing, because I remember being 11 years old and being like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is ridiculous. And I would get very, um, very upset with them for, you know, talking about the people that would be going to hell. And I'd be like, well, what about your brother? You know, and yep, he's going to hell. And I'm like, how can you say that? Well, you know, I love him. It's just that, and I, and it really would really upset me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the hypocrisy was a real turnoff to me and what I viewed as hypocrisy. Um, but when you mentioned the arrogance, I was thinking my aunt thought she was better than her brother because, you know, because of her brother's lifestyle and I was feeling like I was better than her because I wasn't judging on that exact same. And mm-hmm. the exact, I was judging her in a different way. Um, <laughs> Your better judgment. Yes, clearly, um, at 11. So it's what's funny to me is my father, you know, my father was an atheist. And I would say, you know, I was, I was born in Massachusetts. And I was raised by an atheist. You know, I somehow, during my teen years, ended up um, converting to a, um, a born-again Christian. And then I left the church because of hypocrisy again. And, you know, I don't know that I ever really believed in, you know, the whole God concept as they sell it there. But um, in my estimation, you know, if I tried to be like Jesus, then like I'm not harming anything, you know, you know, if, if, if it, if it is true, then great. And if it's not true, then there's no harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that started to change for me when I did feel like there was harm, um, again, with the hypocrisy and just beliefs about certain types of people. And, you know, I, I, that would really bother me. And, um, and so it's just been kind of an interesting, almost pendulum for me. Um, and, but as far as dealing with my family of origin, it's just, just as easy to not, you know, just to not deal with it. You know, I, I'll go visit my stepdaughters and they're being raised in a very conservative Christian home. And if somebody asks me to say grace around the table, I'll say grace around the table. It's just, you know, this is, it's, it doesn't matter to me, you know, what other people believe. Hmm. Um, you know, I don't feel like I have to go out and, you know, be evangelical and convert them to, you know, to agnosticism. I mean, like, that's just not nonsensical. Um but, you know, if you're not hurting anybody else, then, you know, do what you got to do. And I just find that to be the easiest, the easiest way because I, like, again, the reason that I would joke that on my bad days I'm an atheist is because by, be, by saying I'm an atheist, I'm saying I know for a fact that God doesn't exist. Hmm. And I don't know anything for a fact. And so when I'm in, when I'm in the right mental state, I am, um, I know that I don't know. And that allows me to have some humility and the humility I think is what makes it, you know, makes it easier to deal with my family of origin kind of shifting away from that arrogance. Cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, mine, uh, was, um, an interest. So I grew up Baptistarian. Um, uh, my parents, my father's parents, uh, that side of the family was Presbyterian. My mother's side, uh, Baptist. And I grew up in both churches. Baptist. Baptistarian. <laughs> Uh, and, but I also grew up gay in the South. <laughs> and so when my parents, uh, I think it was probably 14, 15 years old, were like, you don't have to go to church anymore. I'm like, fine, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's some judgment there I mean, well, uh, on you. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but one of the things that, um, that I got out of this program that I did not expect to get was that once I got where I was at that time in the program with my higher power or, or whatever it is, um, there was a con, I remember sitting in Granny's kitchen. Granny was a Baptist, Southern Baptist, not the bad kind. And, and um, that, by that, you mean she was not judgmental? She was not judgmental of me being gay, and, and she was not part of the Southern Baptist convention that uh-huh. is such jerks about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but we were sitting in her kitchen, and I was, I don't know, maybe one, two, three years sober, somewhere around in there. And we had this conversation about God. And I was able to have this wonderful conversation with my grandmother where she was talking about God as she understood God. And I was talking about God as I understand God. And neither of us was making the other wrong. And what a treat, what a gift to get to have that moment when I was so against religion prior to mm-hmm. this. Oh. So um, for me, my religion, if you will, today is somewhat aligned with what you were saying, Michelle, <laughs> except it's much more succinct. <laughs> Don't be a dick. I like that. Yep. There, now you're my life coach. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Michelle, oh man. Thanks for coming today. Absolutely. Thanks Thank for you having so me. Much this was really joining. fun. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Watch out. Did someone else start doing an owl call? (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) What does a goat do? Uh, Screams. (laughs) A lot. And one of them faints. Oh, the fainting goats. I've seen videos of those. They're hilarious.